let us adore him. I pray that's the attitude of your heart this morning. Well, as I mentioned earlier and Alex alluded to also, today we wrap up the letter that James wrote to the Jewish Christians who were scattered throughout the land. And it's been a beautiful journey for me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Just to study this book in depth, I've always said that's one of the major blessings I get from being a pastor and and preaching is the motivation, the, the extra drive, I shouldn't need it, but the extra drive to study and to look in depth into the scriptures and what God is really telling us. And I, I count that as a, as a true blessing. And we're going to be looking at the last two verses of James this morning. James chapter 5, starting in verse 19. James says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for this text, we thank you for this book, we thank you for your Bible, Lord. God, I pray this morning for strength, I pray for clear words, feel just a bit of an attack this morning, Lord, from spiritual realm, Lord, and I just pray for strength for that, Lord, and I confess it to you and Trust you, Lord, that you are carrying us, and you will guide us, and you are faithful, Lord. We praise you, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you see, I broke this text again down into three basic sections. And the first thing I believe that James is showing us is the condition, the condition that needs to be addressed. I ask you a question opening this. What does it mean to wander from the truth? Well, first of all, in breaking that question down farther, what is the truth? In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's by Jesus and Jesus alone. No other gods, no works, no means but Jesus alone, that we are saved. Paul, in his writings, called it no other gospel. He talked about those preaching false gospels, that there is no other gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we keep from wandering from the truth? James says, faith in Christ is the only way. How can you possibly wander from the truth? What does he mean by wander from the truth? Well, I'm going to touch on this just a little bit this morning, but this can be a very big theological debate, can't it? Can you be saved and then fall away? Were you ever really saved at all? Have you noticed that we as Christians spend a great deal of time in theological debates? Maybe this morning you don't even really know what a theological debate is. I'll be honest with you, before I was in the ministry, I didn't totally understand what theology really was, what was the whole realm of theology. And I guess, do you know this morning what theology is? I 
look back to the first message that I preached out of James, and we actually defined the word theology because you remember we came out of Galatians, and we were coming into James and trying to connect the dots a little bit, and, and I defined theology and I broke it down. And the part of the word theology, the part of the word ology, actually stands for study of. And the word theo stands for God, so it means the study of God. That's what theology is. So theological debates are debates as to the very nature of God. Who is God? What does God do? How does he respond? That's what, theologic, that's what theology is. And then we debate over theology and, and what scripture really means, what, who God really is. And the question before us again, can you be saved and fall away? Were you ever really saved at all? Disagreements like this or difference of interpretation are t- can be tools that Satan uses to divide Christians, to divide congregations, to put believers against believers. I want to encourage you this morning to study God. Theology is important. We've talked about before how important it is to seek to understand the nature of God because if we don't understand the nature of God, we don't know what we're supposed to look like. So studying theology is, is important. And I encourage you as believers, professing Christians, to study the nature of God. But I also want to tell you that you're never going to understand God, the nature of God, 100% as we walk in these bodies of flesh. None of us in this room has 100% truth. That means that you're never going to completely agree with someone else in this room. That means you're never going to agree with me completely, 100%. Because honestly, in some areas, I still have questions in the nature of God. But God has brought me, most of the time, to a point of peace and trusting that even though I don't understand some things, that He is faithful and He will show me in His time. I bring that debate up because it comes front and center in this text, but it's really not the point of this text. And I'm not going to come down on one side or the other here this morning. But I want to encourage you to look at both sides and point out that people on both sides of that discussion can agree on something in this text. They can understand the urgency with which James is coming. You see, the result is the same. Whether they've fallen away or they've never known the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, The people who James is describing here, both sides of that debate would say that those individuals are lost. That they are not going to receive the eternal reward, the gift of salvation that is available to us through relationship with Jesus Christ. So how can you wander from the truth? Our family likes to go camping and we like to hike And we like to explore some of the trails. And inevitably, when we're following those trails in the state parks or the campground, wherever we're at, there's occasionally a trail that's not marked very well. I'm sure it made sense to the person who marked it, but as we're trying to follow the paths, we have to make our best interpretation. And on occasion, 
we've made the wrong interpretation and we've wandered from the path. God's path is very well marked. There's no poorly marked paths when it comes to God's path. Our sin blocks us and clouds our interpretation and keeps us sometimes from being aware of the obvious markings of God's path for our life. So if that's the case, how do we know if we're on the right path or not? How many of you here this morning remember the analogy from the first sermon out of James of the chocolate chip cookies? We talked about the commands that James lays out in his letter as being ingredients in a recipe. In a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. And they are. All very important parts of us being healthy and vibrant Christians. But another beautiful gift in this letter from James, James is the fact of testing our faith. He gave us tests all the way through this letter of our faith. When you're thinking about a chocolate chip cookie, you, you look at it, does it look like a cookie? Does it smell like a cookie? You take a bite of it, does it taste like a cookie? Well, it must be a cookie, right? Well, James gave us this list of tests to test our faith. Is it true saving faith? In chapter 1, he talked about true saving, true saving faith. And he said that it's marked by a proper response to trials, to temptations, trials we face, temptations to step away from what we know God is asking us of us. The test of do we truly embrace and understand and seek the Word of God? And for God's standards for a holy, our holy living, the way we should live as Christians... What should it look like? In chapter 2, he talks about our response to people from various social classes, rich, poor, whatever race you may be thinking of, male, female, level of education. We went through all of that when we talked about that section. How do we respond to that? And he talked about the manifestation of righteous deeds in our lives. Are we showing fruits of righteousness? Fruits of a heart that is turned to God. In chapter 3, he tested our proper speech. Are we, are we speaking as a Christian would speak? Are we displaying the wisdom that someone should display if, they, if their hearts are turned toward God? And in, the, in that chapter, he wrapped up with not being a friend of the world. Not trying to do as the world does just to keep up, just to be a part of it. Are we willing to be different? Are we willing to... Stand out as Christians. In chapter 4, he talked about how our humility displays the proof of our faith. And how our submission to God's will, not what we want, but what God wants. It's another one of James' tests. Finally, in chapter 5, he looks at our view of money. He looks at our truthfulness. Are we honest as Christians? Are we... Speaking honestly, are we dealing honestly? Those tests that James lays out throughout these five chapters form a standard by which our faith can be measured. 
And there's other elements. James is not exhaustive. It's very thorough, but it's not exhaustive. I ask you this morning, have you recognized false faith? I tell you this morning that this is a serious subject. God doesn't want us to remain secure in our false faith. He wants us looking for signs that our faith is not genuine. Not living in fear and terror, but to be fervent and diligent in seeking to be all that we can be in Christ. He lays the warning out in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me. Can you imagine hearing that from your Savior? That's the urgency to search within ourselves. We've been hearing this all throughout James. In James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. At the very center, at the very core of this letter, James gives an evangelistic plea. In James chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That's a call to us as individuals. We went through that section of Scripture Looking at it in a more general sense now, it's another part of the urgency. The importance of having a genuine faith, being broken and pliable before God. That's where He wants us. That's the urgency He wants us to have with fellow believers, with our family, with our friends, with acquaintances, with whoever He puts in our path, He wants us to express that urgency in love to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To get them back on the path. And that's His command. What do we do about this? How, how do we, what is this command? How do we live it out? Well, James said that we're called to bring sinners back. How do we bring them back? Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Again, remember James' tests. You know, the cookie might look like a cookie. It might smell like a cookie. It might taste like a cookie. But there's a good possibility, well, not a good possibility, depending on who the cookie is. But that cookie might upset our stomach later. And as we witness to people, as we walk with people, we may be deceived by them for a time. They may look like a Christian. They may act like a Christian. They may talk like a Christian. But in time, it will be revealed. And we have to lovingly, if they, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it will be revealed. I believe that. And if we see that, our responsibility is to call them out on it. You see, testing people's faith can take time. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy command. It's not an easy challenge. The important thing is, Paul told us in in Galatians 6, Jesus demonstrated in his whole walk as he was here on earth to approach people in love and gentleness when we see things in their life that are contrary to the nature of God. What are your motives when you go to them? Is it to tear them down or to build them up? We are called to come with clear hearts for the purpose of restoring the individual we're going to. Now when we go to them, this is going to bring consequences. Now sometimes when we think of consequences, often when we think of consequences, we think of bad consequences. Well, not all consequences are bad. There can be a good consequence of of an action. And the consequences that James brings out can be very, very beautiful and fulfilling and bring a point and a a reason for rejoicing. He says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, how do you bring someone back? You point them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you walk with them, you encourage them, you demonstrate a walk of faith. What does it do? It it helps to get them back on the path. You point them to the path. You show them the way to the path. You walk with them onto the path. You see, brothers and sisters, this morning, this is one of the crucial duties of the church body. We're supposed to walk alongside of each other, not scorn each other, not rejoice in someone's hardships, but to walk with them, to encourage them, to help to restore them. Well, James lists two consequences of doing this and doing this in a biblical way. First, he says, you will save their soul from death. And this death is not his physical body. We, we don't have the power to restore someone's life, their physical life as we know it here on earth. We don't have the power to give them eternal life. But we have the means to point them in the direction of the source of eternal life. And that's what James is calling us to do. When we, in faith, point them toward knowledge of the gospel, the reception of that, their acceptance of that, their faith and belief in that saves them from death, saves them from eternity of torment. It brings them a life 
a spiritual eternal life. And he goes on to say that it will cover a multitude of sins. All of the wretchedness, all of the evil that they have done is covered and washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, just like ours is when we put our faith and trust in him. We are holding in our hearts with our relationship with Jesus Christ the power to save others. They have a decision to make. We have a responsibility to act out. Not that it depends on our works, but our works are are a manifestation of God's love worked out in our lives. And in return, we work out that love in other people's lives. Do you truly understand and embrace the love of Jesus Christ and have you received it in this changing power in your life? If you have, then why are you not sharing it with other people? You say, Kevin, you don't know how wretched I am. I believe the gospel. I believe it's true. I've felt the power sometimes, but I still fail so much. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. It's not an excuse to withhold the gospel from someone. Jesus took all of our sins to the cross. Yours, mine, everyone. And to accept his sacrifice and to receive eternal life, we simply put our faith in that gospel and the one who carried it out. It isn't easy to share our faith, is it? I wish, as your pastor, I could stand up here this morning and tell you I'm an expert at it. But as I examine myself, I have a long way to go in this area. A long way to go in this area. And I believe it begins with praying and asking God for opportunities to witness to individuals. To share the gospel with them. You say, well, everybody I come in contact with in my day is is saved. I don't think it's true. But are you looking? Am I always looking? Am I, or am I worried about my next responsibility? Again, I have a lot of room to grow in this area. You say, well, Kevin, I'm too bashful to walk up to somebody and say, excuse me. Can I talk to you about my Savior? Is that an excuse? Yes, it's it's an excuse. That's what it is. You say, Kevin, I have my own problems. As we said earlier, I'm not perfect. If you're waiting to be perfect, you'll never approach someone. The key is to be humble about your imperfections. And when someone puts a finger on those, to be honest about them, to be real about them, they could potentially become a powerful tool to witness to someone. When they see that you're not that holier-than-thou person who they may have pictured you as, but they see that you too are not depending on your own knowledge, your own goodness, but you daily are looking to God to carry you To God to forgive you. 
to God to transform you. You say, well, Kevin, what if they laugh at me? What if they mock me? Well, it's going to hurt a little bit, isn't it? But what a small price to pay compared to the mocking, compared to the abuse, and finally the sacrifice of his life that Jesus gave. Am I trying to guilt you into overcoming it? No. I'm just trying to speak a truth and reality to you and to me. Why do I make it so much about me? Why do you make it so much about you? God wants us to make it about him and then see what he, what he does with it. You see, this is not only a challenge, it's another one of the tests of our faith. Are we willing to testify to the gift that we've received, to seek to give it to others. God saved you by His grace. That same grace is there to empower us to minister to others, to speak life in them, to them, to witness to them, to teach them of the truth. Are you testing your faith? Are you daily, throughout the day, asking God to put his finger on areas of your life that are contrary to his nature? Are you testing the faith of others through love and compassion? Has God pointed out areas to you in someone else's life that he's asking you to speak a word into their life and say, hey, I see this, and I'm coming to you because I care for you. And I don't want to see you fall. I don't want to see you hurt. I don't know if you're even aware of this. But I want to walk with you through it. And I want to be an encouragement to you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to step out and receive the challenge that James has given us in this letter? To testify to those who God puts in our path as to the love and the mercy and the power of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be easy at times. But the truth is, as with anything, the more you do it, the easier it will get. But the key is stepping out. And don't wait until you're comfortable enough to do it. Ask God to help you and be willing. And be prepared. Because it's not always going to be easy. But God is faithful because He says He is. God gives us power because He says He does. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about God and about bringing people into his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you for your amazing, amazing love for us, God. Lord God, forgive us for where we've allowed excuses to bind us up. Lord, where we're too bashful. Where we don't have an opportunity, we say. Where we're afraid that someone will laugh at us where we feel like we're unworthy. Lord, by your grace, give us the strength to overcome our flesh, Lord, to testify to the power and the truth of your gospel. Lord, to help to bring others onto the straight and narrow path, Father. Whether they've wandered or they've never known, Lord, give us opportunity and give us boldness to speak to them to bring them to your path, to your straight path, Father. We thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. 
We thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing love for us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.